Welcome. This is a great conference. This is the 40th anniversary for the National Association Conference. Isn't that? Who knew? Just three, three short uh, uh, years ago, uh, there were people talking out in the hallways, and I wasn't sure whether they were getting ready to, to you know, kind of bless and release uh, the National Association or if it was getting ready to take off. But I'm, I'm probably the only one using the word anniversary. I know we're calling it uh, 40, 40 years. But to me, anniversary is a much more powerful word. I uh, have a degree in marriage and family therapy, so it's a little closer to my heart, uh, <clears throat> essentially. It's really interesting. When I was in graduate school a long time ago in marriage and family, we had a class on divorce. and. Uh, the professor stood up. By the way, this is not a substantial speech, okay? That's coming uh, next. I'm going to introduce that. Uh, the professor first started out, this is a Catholic university, and he says, who can tell me the, the, the three stages of, America, of a marriage? And the priest raised his hand and said, the two-year hitch, the seven-year itch, and the 20-year ditch. <laughs> priest. Now, in those days, that was, you know, that's an old joke now, but but, you know, 30 years ago, that was new, and we, you know, totally cracked up. Um, and I have to say, as I look back at the 40 years of the National Association, we've had some uh, hitches, itches, and ditches uh, during that time. But the interesting thing about that is I, I joined the National Association replacing a colleague of mine who passed away, Dr. Frank Sadlak. And I was invited to complete his term and then uh, was asked to, or voted to stay on, and I've been, been here on the board for 14 years, a very long time. And so I've had a chance to see some really pretty wonderful things happen and some pretty awful things happen with this association. But three years ago, a change took place that absolutely was not expected. And what's happened in the last three years is probably realized every dream that I had hoped to see this association come to. And it's no coincidence that this month, actually probably pretty close to this time period, is the three-year anniversary of our executive director, Marvin Ventrell. Yeah. So today when, when uh, the media calls, whether it's the London Times or the Washington Post, or Al Alcohol and Drug Abuse Weekly, when they call the uh, central office looking for information, the latest information from our trade association on an event that's happening, they ask for Marvin Ventrell. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, Google, in their invitation to come to Palo Alto and participate in their discussions around ethics in advertising, and a, and a prestigious think tank in Washington, D.C. invited Marvin last year to participate in their week-long week discussions about health care in the United States. And so I have been thrilled about what's taken place, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you the real speaker for this evening, his doctor of jurisprudenceship, <laughs> Marvin Ventrell. Art's the only person in the universe that calls me doctor, but I like it. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I worked at a medical school for a while as faculty at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, and I was a lawyer in a medical school, and, you know, they have a real hierarchy, and uh, 
and the doctors are the doctors. And so, you know, the, they thought I had an executive position. They started calling me doctor. And I was about to say, you know, the lawyer, lawyers don't really do that. It's a doctor, but we don't really. And I thought, no, that's what we should do is call me doctor. <laughs> so I lived with that for a while. The lawyers who practice law would make fun of that. Arthur, thank you. Um, you're very kind. You're a kind and decent man. This business needs kind and decent people. We're having some trouble, aren't we? Uh, we have some charlatans out there in the world. And, and so to be able to work for the real deal, um, not to, no pun, Ed Deal, sitting right here. Um, uh, to be able to work for this board of directors, these distinguished people, these people who function with values, these people who kept this organization going through good times and bad. Um, he's right, there was some bad. Um, they, they bring a dedication that is uncommon. Um, and the only explanation for any of this is that in their heart and soul, they care deeply about what happens to a human being if we do our jobs. You go from sick to well. We save people's lives. Human beings transform in the process of recovery. We're not talking enough about transformation right now. We're talking about all kinds of things, but not so much that. So I want to say a few things about that tonight. Um, I feel a real sense of responsibility to, um, to be useful, right? I said in the, in the board of directors yesterday, there's no point in doing this if we're not making a difference, right? This is not, this is not so that we have jobs. This association needs to matter. This association needs to be the most influential voice in the work that we do. This association needs to lead the way in correcting the problems that we're having because we can lose ourselves. Um, we have lost ourselves a little bit. Uh, all of our work at the National Association is designed to recover from that. You know what we'll recover? We're recovering. Uh, We've been through tough times before. Folks that have been around for a long time remember all kinds of ebbs and flows. They remember before managed care. <laughs> they remember how the field grew and then folks disappeared. It's time for some folks to disappear again. Um, and we're gonna talk about that. I have about four hours of things I'd like to say. <laughs> Um, my wife, Jessica, I always, like, before I do a presentation, I've been doing these sorts of things my whole life, I always say, well, here's my slides, here's what I'm going to say, and then that doesn't happen. <laughs> and she says, you never say that, you start doing something else. So I said, well, I try to say a few things at first to just to relax, you know, because you have performance anxiety. Um, anyway, we'll try to, we'll try to, I, I mean it, I have so much to say to you. Right? There is so much going on. One of my great frustrations is that we are doing so much good work to turn this thing around and move the field in the direction that it's being moved, but everybody doesn't know what we're doing. I want to shout from the rooftops, don't you know what we're doing? I was on a call with, the, with SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration in Washington. There's Nikki. Nikki was on the call uh, with me, and um, I told them about our code of ethics. I mean, we, oh, my God, we've got to see that. You haven't seen it? Right? The, the, the federal government, HHS, says that's what we have. They looked, they read it. They said, well, that's what we're going to use as our guide to correct this. This is the impact we're having, folks. You know, I talked to nine executives of the largest insurance carriers that provide coverage for addiction treatment um, recently. We did a, a several-hour webinar for them on values-based addiction treatment providers. It's us. 
and this is the home, this is it, and, and explained what our values are and what our focus was. And one of the executives said, it is so nice to hear somebody in that field care about ethics. I'm not sure how I was supposed to respond to that. I mean, how dare you was, was on the, um, actually there was a slightly different term that came to mind. I didn't say those things, but you know, I said to myself, okay, I see that's where they're coming from. They don't know what John and Ed and Carl and Paul and, and, and all of you uh, and Doug and all uh, get up every day and function by a code of ethics that honors the human being in this process. But they're going to learn, right? And so that's what I want to talk about. That's what this conference is about. Tomorrow morning we'll hit the ground running and I'm going to go through details of what this quality assurance initiative, the QAI that you've been hopefully hearing so much about, Raise your hand if you've heard about the Quality Assurance Initiative. Thank you, God. Um, are you reading my materials? Is that happening? Um, I thought it was just the family. Um, so let, let me begin by thanking some folks, first of all, and then we'll say a few more things, and then we're going to eat. I won't talk that long, um, and then we'll have dinner, and then we'll come back and celebrate some of our finest in the awards. It's really going to be nice. Um, let me tell you how, how warmed my heart is just to see this. This wasn't happening a few years ago, right? We're busting at the seams. Something good's happening here. So, uh, you know, people weren't showing up for sessions, right? That's changing. Um, and it's changing because we're trying really hard. We're showing up and we're doing the work, just like you guys do. Um, and so just to see this and feel this, you know, you want to have, have a party, you hope people come, right? Thank you for coming. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's nice to see you. I, don't, I only see you once a year. You should call. <laughs> so today we play golf. I love golf. Golf's a wonderful game. Golf's a spiritual game to me. Um, we've, we, got, we, we garnered a reputation some years ago as about being a bunch of old guys that play golf. Mm, there's some old guys that play golf. But it's about fellowship and friendship and collaboration and raising money for the Political Action Committee. It's a really good reason to play golf at the NAATP, right? A hundred hearty souls played, went off at eight o'clock this morning in some questionable weather, reminded me of Scotland, and, um, and, uh, and, and paid good money, and played golf, and had fun, and donated to the Political Action Committee. The, of all the programs we've got, and there are many, our work in the Political Action Committee right now and our policy advocacy work in general is hugely important, right? I mean, I was taught as a young lawyer that you have to do two things. You gotta represent that person in front of you as well as you can every day on a case-by-case -case basis, and then you gotta go change the rules. It's the same for us, right? Get people well and then come together and, and help change the rules and improve the rules. We've got some rule changing to do. We're, we have Congress's attention for the first time in a way we haven't for many, many years. So this policy advocacy piece is huge, and I thank all of you who played in the golf tournament and, uh, and gave money. Um, I want to say thank you to, this, to people who sponsored that tournament, right? Um, Bradford Health and Cirque Lodge bought us breakfast. Thank you, guys. Uh, Clay and um, Gary are here somewhere. Um, you know, and... Um, uh, Capstone writes a big check for lunch every year. Um, it's a really generous donation. Capstone uh, uh, provided lunch today. Where's Ruth Ann? Please. Yeah. 
She's always moving. Have you noticed that about Ruth Ann? She's always moving. Sit down, Ruth Ann. Take a... All right. I'm going to uh, see if I can say a few things uh, in addition to what Art said. So here's what we're doing. We're convening as a professional community. That's what this is all about. Professional communities that are worth their salt come together. It's imperative that we come together. In silos, in our treatment programs, we don't do well. And in silos, as separate treatment providers, we don't do well. There used to be a colloquialism. Uh, cooperate and collaborate, right, Doug? We've lost our way a little bit on that. That's what this is about. So that's why we come together. And we come together in our new home. I'm very proud. This is my home. I've lived in Denver since 1993. I love this town. It always, it never rains here. Um, so this is our Mile High home, and I welcome you to it. This is the NAATP headquarters. NAATP was founded in 1978, incorporated in California, spent some time there, spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania, spent a little time in South Florida, and now we're home. This is home. We're going to stay here. Um, and it's so nice to have you. Uh, this is our third conference as a team. whole new team came in uh, three years ago. We rebranded um, so that you could see a symbol of change. And then I believe that we've done the work to back that up. So um, a lot has happened in three years. I told Carl Kester, who was my first board chair, that I, you know, the way things have turned out, I don't think this was the job I was hired for. Right? I mean, the world really got crazy in the last few years. The shenanigans have been going on for a long time, but this, is, this has gotten nuts. And um, the folks who've been around for a long time that have seen ups and downs will tell you this is the worst. In terms of bad behavior, bad actors, unethical behavior, people hurting people, it's never been this bad. So this is serious. This is what we focus on. Right? And during these three years, we put our ducks in a row in order to get there. And one of the things that I just want to say out loud, and, and to the extent that you don't feel this, that's good because you have a very positive environment, but, but it's hard to do the work and it's hard to go to work and it's hard to feel shitty right now. Right? There's this palpable sense of unease in a lot of our work. Right? The first call I get every morning is somebody reporting to me something terrible somebody has done. Right? And so this sense of unease is debilitating. Um, and it impacts us, and it's really important to acknowledge it. It feels awful because it is awful, right? Um, it's fascinating. It's a perfect storm of good things that have happened to bring our field to this point that have had some unintended consequences. You know, I think of the Chinese, uh, the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. It's a Chinese curse, not a blessing. Uh, here's the addiction treatment curse, may you live during a growth industry, right? This soulful, spiritual solution program that has biological, psychological, sociological, and spiritual components um, has become a growth industry. I think I'll get into this for the money. I think I'll get into this for the money. Well, we're a business. This is a business. We're not confused about that. We need to make money. Not-for-profits need to make money to pay their staff, to grow, to improve their program. But it's a very different motivation. The harm that's been caused by the behavior has been horrible. We have criminal behavior. We saw what happened in South Florida and so it happens in Southern California. It happens in a lot of places. It happened in Prescott, Arizona, and I've watched Prescott recover you know, from good work that they've done. Congratulations for Prescott that you've done some good things in terms of legislation. But the patient is harmed. The family is harmed. The payer is harmed. 
right? We're having a hell of a time trying to make sure payers understand parity. Look, we're doing good work. You got to, you insured this guy. You got to pay. Let's not give him an excuse by by uh, appearing to be less than credible folks. So it hurts the payer. It hurts the public. You know, our name has been sullied and our brand is damaged. And so messaging has become very important, right? We have to do good work, but we also have to figure out a way to let people know we do good work. Um, I was asked not too long ago by a reporter, well, isn't it true, Mr. Ventrell, that you could have an overly aggressive, even unethical marketing program but provide good treatment? Hmm. No. I said no. Um, it, mathematically, I suppose that's correct. But no. My answer is no. You know? Um, if, you're a sh if that's the way you do business, then that trickles down and that's how you treat people and that's how people don't get well. I visit a lot of treatment centers. I love visiting treatment centers. And you walk in, I'm looking at Philly, and you walk into Rosecrans, I get emotional when I talk about this, but you walk into Rosecrans and you feel the love. I mean, you feel the spirit, you feel the well, you feel they're doing the right thing. And you walk into a treatment center that is not doing that, uh, that uh, it, it's just poisonous. And you just feel it right away. I don't even need to look at anything. I can feel it and I can see it in the faces of the, of the client population. Unethical behavior is contagious. Our treatment is holistic. We can't have it both ways. We can't compartmentalize how we act, right? Now, don't confuse what I'm saying with not being good business people. We, we're not naive about that. Um, but, our, but our motivation has to be right. So we got this piece going on out here, and then we have the opioid crisis, and these things are connected. Right? Um, this is all very complicated by the opioid crisis, and we have wonderful advances in pharmacology. Medication-assisted treatment is a wonderful thing that has proven uh, efficacy. Uh, uh, the question is, how do we integrate it, and how do we teach the scientists who used to think that we didn't care about science because we're just nutty spiritualists? And so my first speech was always, no, 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 no. We have to come along. Science is how God thinks. That's what I like to say. Annie Peters told me that. Annie, where are you? Yeah, she's really sweet. <laughs> um, um, and, um, and so, but now it's sort of like, whoa, our messaging from, you know, we, we have a close, long-standing relationship with the American Society of Addiction Medicine. The criteria came from NAATP, for God's sake. That's where it started. We gave it to them, right? And so, you know, um, I've had some conversations with them that, that, are, that are quite pointed about, look, if you give the impression that, the, that, that medication-assisted treatment is, the answer, is a silver bullet and an answer to all of our problems, we're going to go in the totally wrong direction. MAT is good, MOT is not. Medication-assisted treatment is good, medication-only treatment is not. Right? We've got to be holistic about this and not look for crisis answers that don't make sense. So we've got problems. You know, it's a perfect storm, I said. Think about it. Once upon a time, we said, man, if, you, if people, uh, if people um, accepted this disease, really understood in society that this is a disease, it's a disease centered in the human brain that has all these other components. You can see it on a damn brain scan. All right, if we could get people to accept that, and we could get insurers to cover it. I don't know, maybe there could be like a federal law that says if you want to trade on a national exchange, you've got to include 10 essential health benefits and addiction treatment would be one of those benefits. It's a damn good idea. It's still alive, 
right? And then, you know what, let's add another thing to it. Let's have a law that says if you cover insurance, if you cover addiction as an insurance provider, you have to obey parity. You have to cover it on par. You have to cover it the same. You cannot make other conditions than you have for medical and surgical things. If we had those things in place, then everything would be fine or, or really good. So isn't it, isn't it fascinating? Be careful what you wish for. These are all good things, but it made us very attractive as a profit center. A lot of people are pretty sure you can get rich doing this work and that's why you come into it. We're gonna to celebrate tonight. Um, I have a hard, sometimes I don't, I don't know how to talk about this because like, geez, Marvin, you got anything else that'll make me feel shitty for the rest of the night? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, we're going to talk about some good things. We have some beautiful people to honor tonight. And one of the things I want to say is that this association has had as its foundation some remarkable treatment centers that have been around for a really long time. Uh, hey, reporters and folks that are excited about new medications, we didn't just invent uh, uh, six weeks ago addiction treatment. You know, uh, Hazelden's been doing it since the 40s. Doug and Karen have been around for a really long time. I think Cumberland's celebrating 50 years this year. Scott over at Sundown in Yakima is celebrating 50 years this year. People have, been, people have known how, how to do this for a really long time. So these wonderful programs support, support us at our core. And three of them I want to I want to thank tonight specifically. Ashley Addiction Treatment. We used to know it as Father Martin's Ashley. Um, it's every bit as soulful and wonderful, but its new branding is Ashley Addiction Treatment, and they have pointed up some dough so that we can have a good dinner tonight. Um, it's, it's expensive to feed you people. Um, um, and Becky Flood, the new CEO, she is here. Becky, could you stand up? No, she's right there. She can't stand up. She's stuck. That's Becky Flood. She's, she's wonderful. Um, Karen Treatment Centers came forward. Um, I got, you know, Doug Tiemann's sitting right here. And, uh, yeah. And Dave Rotenberg, I don't think you need to clap for Dave. Um, um, Dave Rotenberg's, yeah. Dave Rotenberg serves on the board. These guys have been amazing. You know, this quality assurance initiative initiated largely out of this guy prodding me. Um, he's good at it. Uh, he's, yeah, yeah. Um, Marv, Doug Tiemann's on the phone. All right, I'm gonna have to take that. Doug and I have had wonderful conversations and he really helped me frame and, and helped us frame this quality assurance initiative. Um, I'm so glad that you're here, Doug, and that you're going to give the, the, the talk on Tuesday afternoon about how this all comes together in our honorable history, which you know so well. When did I say to? Yeah. Well, I've actually heard it before, but you guys should show up for that. <laughs> Hazel and Betty Ford, you know, foundation is a, is a stalwart, and we have uh, and they they've they've supported us tonight in a big way. Um, Doug Tiemann. Uh, sorry, Mark Mishik. They're not, inter they're not interchangeable, and I apologize. Mark Mishik, the CEO of Hazel and Betty Ford, is here tonight. And Executive Vice President John Driscoll, who serves on our board, is also here right here. 
So we almost had the dang thing paid for, and then we, you know, Katie brought me the, the numbers, and I was like, oh, I got an idea. Let's call NSM Insurance. <laughs> NSM Insurance has been with us for, from time immemorial, right? They do our work. They have done amazing work in this field. Sean Conaboy, are you here? Sean is somewhere. There he is, right there. So, so NSM said, all right, we'll take care of that. So thank you guys. I, I, I love you people for what you do. Um, I want to recognize our board of directors. I, and I want you to understand who these people are. These are 22 to 25 CEOs, executive level folks, who volunteer. Not only volunteer, they don't get paid, but they pay their way. It costs them a lot of money to serve on this board. And, and they do it, and they put their personal agendas and their, their own center agendas uh, away, and they come together and we talk about the field. Um, they serve three-year rotating terms, so they're in three groups. I, wanna, I want you to know that board service is available to all of you. Um, every year, a third of the board is, is up for re-election or, or, or new folks are coming in. And, and pay attention to that and vote and consider serving on the board. First get involved in committees and things like that. But we have two new members coming on this year. We'll announce them at the membership luncheon on Tuesday at lunch. And, um, and you know, I've heard a criticism that we don't turn over our board enough and, that, and it's the same old people. It's not, that's not fair. We don't just play golf for the hell of it, and, we, and our board members serve and new folks come in. In the past three years since our team came on, we have eight new board members and four of them are women. Um, so I want you to understand that the state of our association is sound, right? Is it grandiose to think I'm giving a State of the Union address? I think the state of our union is sound. The state of our leadership is sound. We have amazing leadership. We have amazing staff. My staff is incredible. Um, our infrastructure is reformed and in place. Our membership is stable and growing. Right? We haven't even engaged in a comprehensive, directed membership development campaign. And organically, our membership started to grow over the last couple years in an, in an amazing way. And that's true despite something that's very big that we've done. I want you to take a look around this weekend, right? We look different. There are some folks who aren't here. I'm glad, right? It's not by accident. You know, trade associations don't usually throw people out and, 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 and money, right? Um, we had to decide that, look, if we're going to move this thing forward and we're going to have credibility, our house has to be clean. So we, I'm going to tell you tomorrow in great detail what that whole complaint process and that vetting process and what the qualifications for membership that are enforced are. Um, but, but this is a necessary move, and it's been significant. We launched the new ethics code, ethics NAATP Ethics Code 2.0 on January 1st, 2018, and stuff all started falling into place, right? We were trying to focus on, on, on several primary areas of difficulty. Patient brokering, also called body brokering, if, in, if you really want to feel what the hell is, is horrid about that. Um, deceptive web practices, which is really the dominant problem that deceives people fraudulent billing, licensing and accreditation misrepresentations. We developed a code so that we could say, look, there's no confusion about that. You can't do those things and be an NAATP member. You can't do those things and be an NAATP member. If you change, you can stay. If you don't, you got to go. 
right? And we developed a fair process. So a lot of people come to me and say, you know, you should get rid of that guy. That's not exactly the legal standard by which we have to analyze this. <laughs> what did he do? Well, he's a shithead I heard one time. <laughs> I was thinking about writing that in. Can't be a shithead and be an NAATP member. Right. So look around and, and, and understand that we're in a process. There may be, I'm just saying, a couple of folks in here that aren't following all, all of the rules, right? But we look at that very fairly. Um, there's different pockets of folks, right? There's criminal behavior. There's absolutely ethical behavior, right? There's overly aggressive entrepreneurship. There's naivete. You know, a lot of people, taking these young guys with a, and young women with a year of sobriety and putting them on the road and saying, if you bring me, I'll give you a grand if you bring me a client, they don't know any better, that piece exists too. Um, and so our process has to be, be fair, but it, here's what happens with a membership. A membership expires every year. Under the law and accounting, uh, um, generally accepted principles of accounting and the antitrust law uh, of our federal system, um, a membership begins and ends every year, and there's no expectation of continued membership unless we reinvite you back. So we didn't reinvite back 12 members that expired in December 31st. And I'm not going to announce their names because that's not productive, and I know some of you want me to do that, but there's a, there's a really good reason why that doesn't make sense. Because you know what? They get to do their thing, right? If they want to operate a certain way, they get to operate, just not here, right? So that was a, that was a combined 100 facilities we let go of 100 facilities and $100,000. So don't tell me this association uh, uh, is just about cashing the check. Because if that was ever true, it sure as hell not true now. You know, our real value is um, being in the place where the good people live. You know, we have a lot of value. I can talk about membership value and... and, and um, you know, return on your dollar, and we, and we do, and we need to do those things. You need, it needs to be worthwhile for you to be a member of this, but I'll tell you what's, the, what's worthwhile is that you're here and at your table and you're with the good guys, and it means something to be an NAATP member. And when your name and your organization appears on the addiction industry directory, that means something, because we don't just put anybody up there. And there's some directories out there, right? That's an interesting thing. You can't be a directory and be an, uh, a member of the NAATP anymore. You can't be a call aggregator and be an NAATP member anymore. Um, so this is becoming, if it isn't at this very moment, the most trusted brand in addiction treatment, and that's why we want you here, and that's what we're going to provide. So you know what the problem is? It's, it's simple. It's just lack of community, right? We lose our sense of community. Community is a spiritual concept. I'm looking at Iglo. Brought me a cake from Iceland. Um, um, community is a spiritual concept. It is the lack of community that has led to our problems. Because when we cooperate and collaborate and when we're here together, um, we don't do things that are harmful to each other. None of my neighbor's dogs poop on my lawn. People who live in other neighborhoods let their dog poop on my lawn. So what's that about? Is this a weird example? This was not in my notes. <laughs> I'm really sorry and I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry, Jessica. 
No, but it, there's a point here. Come on, right? I mean, I don't know them. They don't know me. They feel it's okay to do that. They're not part of my community, right? It's a problem in our country. Oh, sorry, that's stupid. But, um, uh, you know, we don't hurt each other when we're part of the community. So here's something that's interesting. I was looking at our history. So William White, the great chronicler of our work, uh, who is on, who's been part of NAATP since, for 40 years, uh, as well as his colleagues, chronicled our history. He wrote our history. And, and if you haven't read, and if you don't have Slaying the Dragon, and the updated version of Slaying the Dragon, or at least go online and look at Bill's litany uh, history. History is so important, right? If we don't understand history, we don't get where we came from, we don't know what we're doing, and we can't make good plans. So Bill's contributions are enormous, and so he chronicled our history. And I was reading some of it in the last couple of weeks because I wanted to talk about something other than dogs pooping on lawns. And so I, um, I came across this quote that Bill found, and it said, and here's a quote. This was in 1978, our founding year. For years, I didn't even know it was a business. I just thought we were doing this altruistically. I knew we had to make some money, but that was not the goal. The goal was just to get people into recovery. Lynn Baltzer, one of our founders, 1978. Is Lynn here? Oh my God. I didn't know. That just might be a God thing. Uh, Lynn, I love you. You, you, you. When I came in, his guy didn't know me, and, but he, he, he said, well, they hired this guy. I'm going go, to go embrace him. And, and you did. And you're kind, and, and you supported me, and that means a lot because you didn't know who I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he does have some kind of old-fashioned ideas, but we won't talk about that. Thank you. So is there a naivete to this statement that Lynn made 40 years ago? I suppose a little bit. It's a business, again, we're, you know, but it's not, why he, it's not why he started. It's not why he's here tonight. It's not why any, these wonderful people are here, right? Um, that's a powerful statement. I get phone calls. These are four of them. One of them was an email. Mr. Ventrell, we're entering the addiction space and could use some direction. What the hell is the addiction space? <laughs> now, there's some business people in, in this room that, in, that uh, might be wondering if I'm a communist. Uh, I am not. Um, and I believe in good business practices, and I believe in, in running a business, and I believe whether you're a for-profit or not-for-profit, we run businesses, and we have to be very smart about it, and the world is complicated, and we have to be uh, sophisticated about it. So that's not it. But what a weird call. I just don't like that call. This one was good. This guy said to me, what is the typical human behavior aggregation model for addiction? I said, hang on a minute. I've got to write that down. <laughs> Well, in the heart of that, that's just, I'm not, you, you can't make this shit up. I, um, uh, you know, this behavior aggregation thing is the, is the thing. We're going to aggregate the behaviors of people looking for addiction, and we're going to target them. I don't think it's the Russians, but um, is this, does this sound familiar, right? 
we're finally figuring out what the internet is on a global scale and we're a microcosm of the problem, right? What happens to people who are victimized online is a microcosm of the aggregation problem that exists on, the, on a broader scale. You know, a congressman asked Mark Zuckerberg, Mr. Zuckerberg, are you willing to change your business model? He said, I don't know what you mean. But he couldn't conceive of that. His business model is, is aggregating the behaviors of human beings. Why do you think the damn thing's free, right? So this is what we do. This one was good, uh, a, a fund manager. Is this a good idea with adequate return for my private equity clients, Mr. Ventrell? No. I said no. <laughs> Investment in our work, done thoughtfully, this is not a bad thing, right? But that's not the approach. And a, and, a, and a private equity fund, which has as its fundamental goal to earn as much profit as possible for its fund participants, is not coming at this the way Lynn did. That much we know for sure. This one was good. Young guy. Hi, Marv. Thanks for taking my call. I'm an addiction entrepreneur. Click. <laughs> that was the name of his company, Addiction Entrepreneur. He doesn't understand that's not impressive to me, right? You know? So, so let's go back to the clinical. We got the business and we got the clinical. And our job with medication-assisted treatment is to figure out how to fit it. In the parlance of a program that many of us uh, are quite fond of, it's about right-sizing things, right? We need to, get, we need to recognize that which is legitimate and see it, see it for what it is, and then we have to get more. And we don't have longitudinal studies, you know, and we're engaged in them. Um, CDC is actually, I was talking to see some CDC people, Center for Disease Control folks the other day about polling some of you to, in order to, to get that data. So we're doing stuff, but here's what I want to say about, about opioids. Um, this is a terrible crisis. 400 people a day is some estimates of how many people are dying of overdoses of opiates. This is horrible, right? One of our award winners wrote a book on where this came from, and the criminals are not just the cartel. Here's what I think, and here's what I know. When you make broad law and policy based on a crisis mentality, you get it wrong, right? Um, a broad addiction public policy framed only around emergency intervention to opioid overdose and early treatment will not succeed for the treatment of this chronic, complex, multidimensional disease. It's a quote. I just said it. 17 million, think about the numbers, let's get right size. 17 million of the 23 million addictions in this country are AUD, alcohol use disorder. Alcohol is still the biggest offender, folks. Alcohol kills more people, affects more people, dramatically more. It causes the most harm. Kills slower. Opioids kill fast, there's no question about that. But uh, you, you talk about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. This piece has to be here. Do you know something? We don't know that addiction has increased. Look at the opioid crisis, Marvin. Look at these numbers. It must be true that across the board addiction has increased. We don't know that. Right? It might not have changed at all. It kind of looks to me like it hasn't. And the next drug's coming, right? Get right size, the next drug is coming. It looks like meth again. Anybody seeing it? Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the docs. Uh, um, have suggested that that's the next thing. So that's coming. 
right? We're going we're gonna to see a switch. The cartels are adjusting. The pharmacology, the big pharma is adjusting. So the problem really is lack of community that results in too narrow of talk. The missing dialogue about treatment is the point of treatment, which is recovery. We have to talk about recovery. The word recovery, the principle of recovery, needs to appear in all of our conversations about what treatment is. And you know what recovery requires? Transformation of a human being. It's not just abstinence, it's the transformation of a human being from sick to well, and it requires all of the pieces, biological, psychological, social, and spiritual, right? Alcoholism is not simply the overconsumption of alcohol, right? Uh, it results in a condition of alcoholism that has all of these components. So we've got to think about it this way. And so I think, you know, I wish every, it, our understanding of recovery as people who understand recovery and work in recovery and believe in the principle of transformation is not unique. It is well recognized. We just have to return to it. SAMHSA. This is the definition of, of recovery by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. It has four dimensions. It is more than just survival, and it includes health, home, purpose, and community. The American Society of Addiction Medicine's definition, the docs, of uh, addiction includes a spiritual whole in the human being. So it's not just us. This is, this is legitimate. So I want to say a couple more words about spirituality. It's not a concept that is nebulous that we can't understand. Spirit, spirituality is something more than the material. It is something that guides us that is not material. It is our behavior. It is our ethics. It is our kindness. It is our decency. It is our hard work. And it's also a leadership principle. It's not just the counselor who talks about spirituality, it's the CEO, right? Because you know what is also contagious? Spirituality. And it runs from the top to the bottom and it permeates everything that we do. So that's what I wanted to say. Um, I think that if we focus on those things, community and recovery, and we use those as our guideposts, we will work well together we will formulate good policy, um, and we'll be good to each other. And so that is my hope for us, among other things. We're going to talk about details, right? It matters. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. But you know what I would love to see and, uh, is, is, as we're learning this weekend and we're sharing, let's be kind to each other. Just be kind to each other. It's contagious. Is dinner ready? <laughs> that was not 15 minutes. So here's what's going to happen. Thank you, folks, for being here, for listening. Um, the bell captain is going to come forward and begin dismissing tables to go get food and come in so that we don't, so that it's not chaos. So please try to observe, as, a pro, as a, an example of, of kindness, let's observe that behavior, and then we'll have dinner, and then we have a wonderful program the rest of the night. Thank you all. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs>